Thank you for joining us in our study of the book of Genesis, entitled, The Origin of Reason. Now the judge is coming in. Everybody's there. You have the serpent, Adam, Eve, and God himself, the judge. Questions are asked, an examination is made, answers are given, the trial concludes, and a verdict is issued. Adam and Eve are found guilty. Their guilt was actually confessed, we've already seen. There were no denials, but there were excuses that revealed neither of the two was ready to accept full personal responsibility for their sin. They openly admitted that they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but their excuses meant nothing in light of the question, did you eat of the tree? It's a simple yes or no question, and the answer, that's all we needed, was a yes or no. God saw the action, but he also saw the attitude of heart as well. The excuses that they presented did not exonerate them from any of the charges. Their excuses did not exempt them at all from judgment or provide any wiggle room in God's considerations. They really had no defense. With confessions being made, they stood silent before God. They were guilty. This is our position before God. We stand guilty in Adam. And while that sounds a bit distant from us, if we get a closer look at it, we stand guilty for our own sin. If we do not know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we stand guilty with Adam. But if we're outside of Christ, we're simply biding time as we await our final trial and the final judgment. The only way to avoid this is to have our guilt removed and our sin debt paid, neither of which we can achieve by our own efforts. Adam and Eve tried it. They didn't do a good job. They tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, but they were still guilty. What could Adam and Eve have done? We use nothing but fig leaves ourselves to cover our own shame, and that, we've seen, is not sufficient. These personal efforts, though they are extremely sincere and heartfelt, only reveal we have indeed sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're trying to cover the shame and the guilt that we carry, and it weighs heavy upon us. The declaration in Scripture is this. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. That's found in Romans 3, 10 through 12. So the question would be this. How do you plead? Do you have a defense? You might feel you don't need a defense. The day will come when we all stand before God. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to people who are under the law so that every mouth will be closed and all the world becomes accountable to God. It also says that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So today is the day that we can step forward and make our case if we can. We need to see where we stand in light of God's law. The trial proceeds and the facts are all put forth. The examination is made and things become apparent and they're more than obvious. The deliberation is short. Reasons were given, but they were faulty and of no real value. When the examination was over and all the facts were revealed, there were no more excuses to be offered. The day of God's judgment on Adam and Eve had arrived. Adam and Eve stood before the judgment seat. Their only hope and their only refuge truly was the mercy of God. Even this would be undeserved and unwarranted, for they willingly broke the law. They were guilty. The gavel falls, striking the sound block. It echoes through history, and if you listen closely, we hear it today. Guilty. It was a dark day in the garden. Sin was uncovered, exposed, and revealed, and acknowledged. It was too late for the two. Their mouths were silenced. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Let all the earth be silent before him. There's a song that says, Glory be to God on high, and peace on earth descend. 
God comes down, he bows the sky, and shows himself our friend. God the invisible appears, God the blessed, the great I am, he sojourns in this veil of tears, and Jesus is his name. We have hope. Christ delivers us from the verdict. He delivers us from the guilt. He bears our guilt, and he sets us free. These are amazing things to know, and this is what makes me wonder how God felt when arriving at the verdict concerning Adam and Eve. Do you want to see how deep his emotions went and how profoundly he felt the grief? We look to the cross, and we see that he nailed his own son to the cross. He gave his only begotten son on the cross to bear your sin. There's the grief of the mighty creator of the universe, the God of all that we know. That's how deep his grief went. The last phase of the trial of Adam and Eve arrived, and God passed the sentence. First, he goes to where the problem originated. He goes to the serpent, and he says, You're cursed more than all the wild or domestic animals. You'll crawl on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. This applies to the serpent whom Satan employed to do his bidding. And I will tell you without reserve, I do not like snakes. Never have, never will. Also, I believe that Satan was cursed to eating the dust, not the dust of the ground so much as the dust of frustration. Some say that Genesis is wrong, and we can't trust the biblical account because snakes don't eat dust. This would reveal a bias in their thinking and a true ignorance. To eat dust is to know defeat. This is a prophetic judgment on the devil. He will reach for the heights of heaven, but will always fall on his face in the dust of defeat. Satan is driven by personal aspiration and desire, but he's never able to attain his goals. Adam and Eve stood, and they heard this. They watched the transformation. The beautiful creature stooped and bent face down to the ground. Gone was the attractiveness that had lifted him up in the eyes of Eve. Gone was his appeal. His voice was now nothing more than a hiss. Instead of a cocky gait in his step, he now slithered along on the ground. If this happened to him, what would become of them? Eve. In Genesis 3.16, it says, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Immediate physical death is held back. Eve will suffer in childbirth, something neither knew anything about. To this point, suffering was a completely unknown experience. It's logical to think that there would not have been any pain in childbirth before the fall. The pain mentioned here is a continual pain, I believe, that will come with the arrival of the child that includes raising that child to adulthood. The child will have an inherited proclivity towards sin. He or she will have a rebellious heart, and there'll be struggles, there'll be sickness, anger, depression, fightings, tears, scratches, cuts, hurts. Raising a child is not something for the weak at heart. No one can break a heart more than a wayward child, and most parents know that. This gives us reason to be understanding with the child. That child has inherited a sin nature that has plagued you and your spouse and me and mine since our arrival. If you smoke, cuss, and drink, and your child eventually discovers tobacco, foul language, and alcohol to be vices that he or she chooses to lean upon, don't be surprised. Children will emulate their parents. They will do what you do, and they will do what you allow them to do. They'll speak with your accent. They'll walk as you walk. They'll comb their hair like you comb your hair, and they'll want to live like you do. This should give us great pause. Be patient. Be gentle. Be understanding. You're not going to be able to punish the fallen nature out of your child. You won't be able to nag it out or beat it out. Only God can change the heart of the individual. And what you brought forth with the birth of a child is an individual personality that will grow and develop into an adult. Adam, Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. In toil, you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it'll grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread, though you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. Adam is now relegated to working the soil, to toil with his hands, and to sweat. Results of the fall are seen. While the guilt is known, judgment is not yet pronounced. 
That sin was committed and guilt was obvious. The words, you are found guilty, are not yet said. The final declaration of judgment was withheld. Why? With that declaration, sentencing would have had to follow, and there would be no remedy. Death would be pronounced, and the end would become a reality. It would all have been over. Would not that have been just? Isn't God supposed to be just and righteous, and the pure eyes then to behold iniquity? He said death would occur. He said that Adam would die. Why didn't he slay Adam immediately? Instead, God spoke of something unusual. He said to the serpent, I will make you, Satan, and the woman hostile towards each other. I will make your descendants and her descendants hostile towards each other. He will crush your head, and you will bruise his heel. Final judgment had to come. It could not be avoided. God had said it would come. It would be unjust for God to simply overlook his promises. The day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. He did die. Spiritually, death came and all of creation groaned. So the death God spoke of was metaphysical only, right? No. Then you're saying that this story is not really what brought death to mankind. The death with which we're all familiar. We die. My dad died. My mom died. And physical death, it comes naturally, doesn't it? No, Adam and Eve did die physically. Adam lived 930 years and he died. The judgment which was withheld finally came. Their judgment, however, fell on Christ who was slain from the foundations of the world. Adam and Eve were judged as we are judged, and they were found guilty. What's my sentence? O Christ, what burdens bowed thy head, my load was laid on thee. You stood in the sinner's stead, and did bear all ill for me. The victim led, your blood was shed, now there's no load for me. Christ bore Adam and Eve's judgment, and not theirs only, but yours and mine as well. This is the introduction to the greatest story in history. Is the greatest story ever told, and it opens up to us a great understanding of the origin of reason. I want to thank you very much for joining us today, being with us in this study. Your participation is well appreciated, and I hope you receive something of benefit. Come back next week and be with us as we study again the origin of reason.